Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm joined as always by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm all right. The, uh, the nice weather's kind of gone away a little bit, but uh, still a nice day. It is. Well, you're not allowed outside, though, as we'll, we'll, we'll learn later with all the, uh, the, the picking of police action. Um, I'm joined also not by Luke Perry this week, who is absent. He's not being cancelled. I'm sure he'll be with us again next week, but he's had to take temporary leave. Um, so we've got a, a tremendous replacement in William Parker. William, how are you? Hello there. I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, thanks thanks for joining us last minute. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think the last podcast was pretty good. So, you know, and I, I've been watching these um, weekend reviews and they're very good. So, yep, glad to be involved. There you are. I'm sure you can, you can make them even better with us this week. Um, now, we've got three stories as always, and I'm going to kick off this week with... Um, the most recent story, really, it broke last night, uh, which is yet another blow for not only the pub, but the, the general hospitality industry, um, reports that when pubs and restaurants and cafes do finally reopen, the old guidelines, wherein only one member of a group uh, who was attending venues had to give in their details for test and trace, but even then, uh, this was a, a voluntary decision, have been updated. Now, every customer at every venue will have to give their details. It's not a matter of choice, it's mandatory. We'll have to give their details um, so they can be contacted if there's uh, anything to do with COVID taking place in the venues. And venues which don't enforce these rules are going to face fines. Sam, I'll start with you. The pubs have had a pretty horrendous year uh, and restaurants, of course, and cafes, uh, having not been open for most of the time. It seems as though the government is actively pursuing a policy of just destroying the industry altogether. How do you think it's going to uh, fare under these circumstances? Well, the, the first thing to, 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 to mention that I think is really important is that um, hospitality is comparatively has a very low infection rate compared to other sorts of venues. The, the areas where the COVID uh, spreads most commonly is um, care homes and hospitals. The, the pub sector is, is you know, for, for a very good number of infections, but also we've mentioned this in the past on the podcast that um, the fun of going to the pub and the spontaneity of going to the pub and, you know, the, the act of, you know, calling your friends and going, invent a drink, you know, that's gone now. Like, like, we aren't getting that back for, for at least a very long time. And I stopped going to the pub around October because, that, because of that very, very reason. It just, it just, it was too, I felt almost stressed in the pub, which is the opposite of how you want to feel in the pub. Um, but yeah, you're right. This is this is going to really harm the pub industry because there are many more like me who is going to think, I could go for a pint, but it's too much hassle, so I'm just going to go to Tesco and get some cans and stay at home. Yeah. Um, pe- people are swayed by convenience fairly often, and 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 um, this is going to hurt an industry that's already on, on its knees. Mm. Convenience and comfort. I mean, I think, that, like you say, the, the whole experience is is not just made. Um, sort of inconvenient in this sense, but uncomfortable. You don't feel as though you're welcomed. You have to show your papers. You, you have to show a passport, which is something we might have to uh, come on to in a minute. Uh, William, I, I think you said that you, you emailed your MP about um, this news last night to, to raise, am I wrong about that? No, no, I was just shaking my head because <laughs> I didn't like it. Yes, um, All right, I, I, I said, because when you sent the screenshots in, um, yeah, yeah, I was very surprised with what I was reading. So I thought, I'd, definitely got to shoot this so um i contacted my mp about it and said look you know we've got to oppose this somehow because they just flagrantly updated the guidance and the, the fines were incredibly heavy as well and for yeah. an industry that's been through so much it's yeah it's very shocking stuff i, I mean my mp did uh, oppose the renewal of the 
COVID Act, so we can hope that, that there'll be some opposition to it, but yeah, it's terrible. It is. I, I think um, uh, this hasn't even been reported largely. I, I was looking at reports last night about every member of a group having to give in their details rather than just one person, but the reports failed to mention that uh, the the giving of details has changed from being voluntary to mandatory. I'm not sure whether this, this happened in the latest updates. It might well have happened before, but I don't think it did because when we when we were able to go to restaurants before we were, um, we had at least the right not to show our details so long as the, the venues were aware of this. Um, now, obviously, I think it, we might as well move on to this. The, another point um, which is going to make the return of, of venues like this difficult is the the idea which is being floated and which has been further confirmed today of COVID uh, vaccine passports. Uh, apparently there's going to be a trial run uh, in, the, in, the, in the FA Cup. That shows my knowledge of football. I didn't even know the name of the cup. Uh, there's, they're going to test the, the passport system in the FA Cup to see how effective it is and see what sort of response it gets. Um, what sort of opposition is this likely to get in Parliament, do you think? Well, I think it, it's all dependent on Labour, really. Um, if they opposed it and then if the other MPs came together, then there probably would be enough to overturn it. But I did hear um, one of the shadow ministers do an interview on it and it was very pathetic. She, she wouldn't come down either side, uh, whether she was for or against. So um, the, the verdict's still out on that. But there, there is a lot of opposition to it. But as we said before, they could, um, they could ram it through without um, primary legislation, which would be very worrying. So. One thing, one thing too that um, we, we've mentioned before, but is just becoming more and more ominous by the day, is um, the role that polling is playing in, in this. Uh, we're seeing a lot of polls from Ipso and from YouGov, who just quick thing about about polling is that it's not it's, it, it represents people who go out of their way to answer the poll, right? It isn't you know it it, it isn't say part of the census or isn't you know asked you in the street. It's um, and the people who go on these polls are typically either older and vaccinated um student age because you you get a bit of money if you, if you do enough polls and more inclined to lean towards vaccination or activists right they're not representative of the wider population and but whenever you see one of these polls it shows overwhelming support for vaccine passports as if the people are you know at their doors baying for for, the, for, the, for this policy i think the actual public consent is far lower but the um the, the almost pressure to be on the, you know, by any means necessary, get, get down to COVID zero is, is that, that people won't, won't state it as clearly. I do still think that it's the, the majority view. I, I agree that support is overstated by polling. I mean, part of that is that the questions, I saw someone commenting on this yesterday, the questions which have been uh, put forward on vaccine passports are quite leading often um, and, and tend to lead people towards supporting rather than opposing. Um, and I think another point is that I, I think people do support these sorts of measures, all sorts of COVID measures, in, including hard lockdowns, um, in theory, but when it comes to practice, don't carry it out themselves. So what I've noticed uh, working in a shop over the past year is that the customers, this is very anecdotal, obviously, but it's still worth saying, the customers who come to the, the till with the newspaper, shaking their heads at the the latest celebrity to have broken the, the guidance or shaking their head at other customers for not following the, the floor arrow marking correctly. The ones who complain most about that 
are also the quickest when they go outside to to embrace their friends when they walk past or to lower their mask during conversation. I'm not saying any of these things are bad. I, I welcome that sort of um, communication, but it's it's ironic that those who seem most in favour of restrictions are in day to uh, day to day life the most opposed to it. Um, so that's one point on the polling. On on opposition in Parliament, the uh, Big Brother Watch think tank, which has been quite quite effective during uh, the past year. Uh, well, effective. It's not it's not changed policy, but it's at least had staunch views and put them across properly. Um, has organised seventy MPs of all parties, Labour, Lib Dem. I think all the Lib Dems are, are opposed to vaccine passports and Conservative to. Um, say that they will oppose vaccine passports if the government tries to introduce them properly. Um, William, I wonder if you could say a little more on what you did a moment ago on why it is that MPs opposing it wouldn't make a difference, because I think we, we talked about that a bit before we started recording, but uh, it might be worth going into it a little bit now. Well, I guess it's just the way that the COVID Act is designed and when it was um, extended, uh, they can really just do whatever they want. They can make executive decisions to guidance and then enforce it uh, without any votes in Parliament. So I think if the government knows that there's going to be a huge opposition to it, it could be overturned, they'll they'll find a way around it to force it through. Um, so that, that's the big concern there. So it's all to do with the uh, COVID Act and the, how overreaching it is. Um, mm. I imagine a lot of MPs know that as well. Um, they're, they're probably being quite a little bit more open about opposition because they know it's they're not going to have the chance to vote anyway i imagine if push came to shove some of them probably would vote in favor just to save face of the whips and the party leaders and uh regarding career prospects but because they imagine likely that um this sort of thing isn't going to be introduced via an actual parliamentary vote they're a bit more brash about it mm. it's we have a government that is high on power and high on sanctimony um, and, and, and those two in combination can go basically anywhere. Um, I want to go back quickly to um, the, the first point about, of, of, of signing in. When the pubs were open before the, um, in between the lockdowns, you had to sign in. I, I don't think I ever once gave my actual details. Yeah, I also got around it as well with them because I, I did it once properly and then had the screenshot of the uh, QR thing and then just <laughs> used that multiple times. Yeah. Um, so, but of course, now with the new guidance, they're not going to allow that. So. No, well, the problem now is that if a pub knows that people are doing this, which, you know, in local pubs, uh, the whole point of a pub is that it's a community centre. You'd like to think that landlords know what their customers are like. They've had conversations like this and they know, oh, look, here's, here's Harold. He's, he's a bit sceptical about what's going on, but we let him get away with it. He's, he's, he's good enough. He comes in, he gives us custom. Now, if the pub puts up with that and, and says, oh, we'll, we'll let him off, it doesn't matter if he, if he scans the code or writes his code, they face really hefty fines, thousands of pounds worth of fines for, for not ensuring that the people are doing this correctly. Um, which, which, as you said, William, especially after the past year, is, is sort of the last thing they need. So I think pubs are actually going to take this rule very seriously, not necessarily because they want to, but because if they don't, then the, the risk of their doors being closed forever becomes even more of a reality. Mm. Yeah, it's the ultimate form of coercion, really, isn't it? It's like the whole life's business is on the line. So what, what choice do they have? You know, it's really a terrible stuff. Yeah. I want to go back again to something that you said, Michael, about people who, you know, tut and shake their heads and then, you know, will, will break the rules a moment later. What we're seeing is quite interesting is, is a, 
there's a, there's a big gap uh, increasingly growing between stated preference and re real preference, right? People are more than happy to vocalize fashionable opinions on lockdown and mask wearing, yet their actions reveal their actual preference, which is, you know, the very, very few people have actually, 100% of the time, gone along with these, 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 these uh, regulations because they're so ridiculous, right? That, you know, every, everyone's broken. Everyone has. You know, we, 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 we saw the scenes in, um, in parks around the country uh, this week when, the, when the, the, uh, the weather turned nice. Everyone was out, you know, no one was really playing by the rules. Yet those same people are the ones who shame people who, do, who don't wear a mask or, or won't be vaccinated. I, I think we can affect the, the saying, ask a silly question, get a silly answer to that. If you enforce <laughs> unenforceable rules or rules which people just cannot live with, then people are going to break it. Uh, the, the latest thing that the government is urging is um, is to tell people, even those who have received both doses of the vaccine, not to hug their children uh, or grandchildren, otherwise they might infect and kill them. Um, I mean, one, there's the, the question of, I think you, you've already said it, Sam, so drunk on power, the government, that it's, it's actually astounding to read something like that. Imagine seeing a headline like, like that two years ago, even more baffling that... The, the government is still happy to get plenty of money through tax from, from cigarettes. Um, it, it is happy to continue with a, a policy of mass car rather than trying to boost up public transport. And cars, of course, kill thousands of people every single year. Um, it's, I mean, you, you know about the first one as well, Sam, that I mentioned. It's, it's a ludicrous um, plus forward of state power. Not, not only that, I mean, look, look, takeaways are open, gyms are closed. Yeah. you can't help but just laugh at it. it's, it's I amazing. mean it's crazy I mean if they said for so long that the vaccine would be the, the moment where we turn the corner it's almost like the, the Lord of the Rings the one ring they can't let go of the, the, the powers that they've yeah. been given yeah. Yeah. it really yeah. is like that you know well, I mean, and, uh, the um, goalposts keep shifting over and over again and this is just the latest well, I mean, yeah. this, is, this is what we, we covered last week in, in, in the longest three weeks of our lives is that the, um, the onus for us to obey has has gone up and up and up and up and up every every single time and it, it you know it it it's if you'd said this time last year that this is going to end in mandatory vaccinations and hyper regulation of daily life indefinitely you would have been called a tinfoil hat wearer i mean you, you pretty still would today but like it's 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 there yeah I, I, people must start to question at this point as well what is the point of the vaccine if once having had both doses, you still can't hug your grandchildren. I mean, regardless of the question of whether or not the government has a say on that, which we think it doesn't, um, what is the point of taking this thing if you can't even do that? It's, and you, of course, you then ask the question of all the other measures. What's the point of the first lockdown if it just means we're going to have another two anyway? Um, I mean, they, it, it made me laugh when I think it was Patrick Valance who, who said late last year, um, that those who support us leaving lockdown early must remember the definition of insanity, which is repeating the same thing over and over despite it not working. And I thought it was hilarious that Patrick Valance, who has supported these lockdowns and has urged the, the government to pursue them, along with the rest of the the, the SAGE um, officialdom group and, uh, and other uh, professionals, should try and employ the definition of insanity in that sense on anti-lockdowners rather than those who have been pushing for it. Just doesn't make sense. It's what happens when you give the men in the white coats the ultimate power over everybody's lives, isn't it? Perfect yeah. example of it, I think. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's, that's, that's where we are now. It's just, 
through through the COVID Act and the the influence that Sage have over government policy, it, it is now technocracy. That's that that's sort of where we're at now because we the 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 democratic mandate um every 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 day that the covid act is still in place the democratic mandate of the country is of the government is is gone because it's ruled by decree our you know the the, pub, the people are heard through their voices in parliament which i mean you know uh, that that direct line broke a long time ago but still that is still our voice democratically in in the government but with the covid act it's, it's just completely bypassed but these things get swept aside in in momentary lapses of uh, of insanity clearly mm. Mm. Yeah. emergencies air quotes <laughs> yes emergencies that never end mm. yeah well um I, I, th- I think i think i saw to look about this um when when i when we did the uh pep special but it was about how um how emergent emergencies sort of go hand in hand with tyrannical measures we're talking about how you know the the patriot act after after 9-11 that allowed the government to spy on its own citizens, you know, uh, yeah. without without any recourse. I mean, it's, it's 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 like that phrase: "Never let a good crisis go to waste." Well, the the interesting thing there is that um, I think I said this when when Luke mentioned it before, because we're we're still young and mainly remember things after two thousand and one. Um, well, I certainly can't remember anything from before, um, other than sucking my thumb, perhaps. Um, we grew up in a time and and traveled abroad when possible in a time when the sorts of measures which were introduced after uh, 9-11, um, as we say, as emergency measures, were still in place. And we've lived through that for our whole lives. The whole, every time we've been to an airport um, or to a place like that, we've been uh, gone through scanners to scan our body to make sure we've not got this or that on us and patted down, if so, and our, luggages, uh, our luggage rummaged through. Um, because of that, it's sort of innate. It's it's part of the experience of travelling. I I never considered it as being unusual until I started to read people talking about the changes uh, in in our liberty after emergency powers were enforced. And I, I just picture someone growing up in another twenty years' time, who every time he reads in the paper or on his phone, I suppose by that point, especially um, that another virus has emerged or flu is particularly bad this year they'll think all right i ought to stock up then because we'll be in lockdown in another week i fear that this is going to become something which um as i say is going to become just part of the way we live which seems strange to us now but in another 20 years with another generation can become perfectly quote unquote normal we've seen we've seen the, the idea of the next pandemic is being pushed as well Oh yeah, I mean, it's like they drip feed this stuff in and we get used to it and then they'll make it permanent. It's like with the uh, vaccine passports, there's a high chance that they'll be permanent, definitely, I mean, especially the international ones. So, yeah, this is crazy. And before you know it, these, the, the people growing up now, um, who are young now, this will be normal to them, masks and everything. They'll probably get used to that, you know. Especially the masks. Again, when, when working in the shop, there's, um, obviously, I think it's kids under 11, is it, don't have to wear masks. Um, but time and time again either parents would just give their children masks just because it's so that everyone has to wear it is the is the is the narrative um so they'd be wearing it and being very quiet and disciplined about it or on some occasions i'd, I'd see children sort of tugging on the, their parents sleeve saying why don't i have one can't i have one please can i have, can one? I have a muzzle please <laughs> yeah desiring it you know it's because everybody around them has it and and children of course um, learn by by um, behaviour of those around them. 
and the behavior they're growing up witnessing is people sort of jumping back in horror when someone is less than uh, seven seven feet um, around from them and having to muzzle every time they go into a, a building. Well, I, I was saying last week, uh, Michael, that um, I can feel myself becoming conditioned um, into um, having a weird, or oh, that's strange response when I see like a big crowd in, in a film. Right, yeah. so it's like um, but like, that's like happened before. You know, we were talking about like nine eleven and, and air travel. Um, if you ever see a movie that's made before nine eleven, that's seen in an airport, and the characters will basically just walk through the airport without any, you know, checks or anything like that, you think oh, that's strange. Mm. So these sort of you know these 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 new normals become become normalized really quickly. Yeah, I think on that point because we. We risk having another COVID full episode like the last one, and we don't talk want about to, it forever. Yeah, we don't want to disappoint uh, readers, uh, listeners, rather too much. Uh, so, on on the point of conditioning, Sam, as you just talked about, um, we'll we'll go on to the next question, which is about uh, racism. Are we institutionally racist as a country? Are we sort of innately racist, just as people in the future will innately want to lock down when a flu rises up and wear a mask when they enter a building? Sam, you've been looking at the the recent race report, which has been conducted, but particularly in, in the fallout, if you could pre- briefly outline what the, the findings were from the report, and then we, we might get a sense of why it is people have been so cross about it. Well, um, this, this, is, this is the culmination of a, of a, a long-awaited um, inquiry into the, the nature of this country's institutions. I mean, we've had, since, since the, the, the summer uprising, we've, we've had a, a non-stop barrage of, you know, this part of British history is racist, or the countryside is racist, or uh, Georgian buildings are racist. Well, um, there's been a, there's been the, the government commission inquiry, and it's, it, it's, it's found what I think is just a very sort of quite nuanced truth, but just that there is racism in Britain, but it is not systemically racist and it isn't rigged against against um minorities but that didn't sit well with the what what has now become an industry of anti-racism a very lucrative industry of anti-racism people who if um if we carry on going down this path of denying their core axiom about this country are, are out of a job to be honest to put, to put bluntly so who, who are some of the the main figures then because this isn't just uh, we we talk about these sorts of things quite a lot about you know the latest cancellation say or the latest outrage over the um, a recent hashtag or trend whatever. But this isn't just some sort of Twitter storm that's been going on. People in high places and officials and parliamentarians, in fact, have have been questioning uh, this report and its findings. Um, do you do you know any any people in particular who have been doing this and? Could you comment on why it is that they've they've sort of taken that approach? It it has been the sort of you know the the the, the typical uh, suspects you know uh, Sasha Johnson of uh, of BLM UK that god awful Cambridge professor who I, who I won't mention um, Kehinde Andrews who uh, I believe has been has been cashing in on a book he wrote about racism. Again, it's just it's it's the typical thing. Of, it's, just, it's it's that industry of you know of communicators who. Um, yeah, who, whose livelihood depends on essentially slandering a country that's given them a platform and prosperity. Yeah, it's definitely narratives imported over from America, yeah. certainly, and it's, they thrive off of it. And uh, this report sort of um, wrecks the whole thing that they thrive off. So they're going to be very vitriolic about it, aren't they? So. Well, the the report confirms what we already knew, um, which is that the most 
economically and educationally disadvantaged group in the UK is, is, is uh, northern white working class boys. It's another one of those things where this entire rhetoric is built on a narrative, not, um, not empirical data. Um, and it's just, it's just been sort of smashed open. I mean, I, I will say this, the, the report itself is not bereft of biases. There are, there are definitely biases, but um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a quote here, which is, because um, it, it looks at a number of things. It looks at um, disparities in outcomes and public attitudes. And in, in, in the latter, I mean, we knew this, that Britain is one of the least racist societies in, in Europe, if not the world. It's our, our attitudes towards um, minorities and, uh, and immigration and, and mixed, mixed race couples is, is again, it, it's compared to other parts of the continent, at least, it's, it's, we're miles ahead of them. Um, but th this is the quote, that we, we found that most of the disparities we examined, which some attribute to racial discrimination, often do not have their origins in racism. Um, which is interesting because it, 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 it tackles the, the idea that anything less than perfect that happens to, to a minority in a Western nation is because of racism. Any disadvantage is because of racism. When we found that, you know, when you look at the empirical data of disadvantages, i.e. Um, school retention, income, um, and intergenerational wealth, it is, it is more based in class and uh, regional location than in race. Hmm. And you mentioned some of the, the biases within, within the report, and a lot of those who have criticised its findings have sort of said, well, those who conducted the report already had their opinions on whether or not there's institutional racism, and they already believed there wasn't. And so this report wasn't about finding anything out and reporting on those findings, but instead uh, was simply sort of a, a way of officialising their views. I mean, um, I mean that, that, that is literally how... CRT came into being, right? Mm. And no, a, a group of people who already had their conclusions figured out, decided that it is racist, did no G process, and that was a, and they, they found that conclusion that they worked backwards. I mean, I, I'm not saying that's what the commission did, but I mean, it's quite rich of, of the critics to 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 use that as their, you know, prescribed methodology when that's basically how most critical theories perpetuate themselves. Yeah, well, I, I think those criticising, what I was going to say is that those criticising, uh, I think, are guilty of what it is they're accusing the, the report holders of, of being. And, and that even if the report had been more harsh in terms of a view on, on racism in the UK, that they would have come out by saying, it's not gone far enough. You've missed this. You've missed that. You've, why have you ignored this? It, you know, why yeah, the, I mean, even if it went with the narratives, they were looking for a problem. And, you yeah. know, so no matter what it was, they would have kicked up a storm about it. Definitely. Why is that? Why are they? Why are they, do they sort of desire there to be a problem? It's lucrative. It's lucrative. It's you think lucrative. it's all about money? Not not all about not all about money, but it, it but not not money, but status. Right. And also um, that they enjoy being outraged by things as well. That that's definitely true of, of young people in this country. If there's a protest, they'll go to it. They probably don't know what they're really protesting about, but you know that they want to be outraged about it, and they won't have any reasoned uh, reasons behind it you know yeah. and, and this is obviously this this is a profile of 21st century britain i mean you know if you go back to the 80s and 70s there are serious issues with like, like, like the national front like um you know like my my dad moved moved here um from from the, the middle east in the late 80s and around that time he, he experienced some really bad racism but the nation that is there today is not the nation that, that was there 50 years ago mm.
Well, as we say, then critics obviously aren't happy with the report. And I think that's likely to be uh, disadvantageous in terms of race relations. I think with issues like this, the more we talk about race, the worse uh, relations actually get. People try and uh, highlight an issue where one doesn't uh, necessarily exist, at least not to the extent they say. So how how is it possibly if we can, this might be one of the first times in the uh, we can review I've suggested this but how is it that we could sort of find a solution to that problem where people are um, always looking for more problems or is this is this desire that you say because of lucrative uh, gains so strong um, that it's it, impossible to overcome well I, I think when it comes to stuff like race we just need to be colorblind throw out race altogether but um, I know that the, even the government doesn't do that so it, it's probably a futile cause but uh, that, that's the best way to, to end the divides is just to not see race at all but uh, yeah. of course that's <laughs> and, and in, in, in the age old British tradition I think a, a nice bit of mockery would do would go along there as well mm, mock, yeah mocking them that's always a good way yeah I mean, as you say William the government's position on this is not is not the ideal one and not, not really a conservative one either. It, it's, it's similar in a way to its position on other isms and phobes and all that sort of stuff, where, whereby, you know, Boris, when he was um, elected, wrote a piece in The Spectator saying, uh, we're going to make sure that the, the cabinet or the conservative batch of MPs is the, the most female, the most black, the most gay, the most this and everything. Uh, and he's saying, you know, he wants to root out some of the current ministers and bring in more, more women, for example, which th th that happening in itself wouldn't be a problem. But when the impression is given that it's based on quota filling um, and just ticking boxes, um, I think the, the relations in that sense are made worse because then other people uh, sort of backlash against it and say, well, no, that's wrong. Why isn't it just off merit? It's like this small minority of angry people will always get some kind of concession, no matter if it's a conservative or whoever, they'll always get, um, you know, uh, concessions to given. And that, that's really what's happened. Yeah, and and he, he who shouts loudest is heard first as well. The, 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 the people, the individuals who are part of this in, industry of anti-racism are, are very loud. They're very mobile. They employ very um, clever tactics. Um, well, I was just saying that they are highly effective groups. So the way they sort of can organise a huge protest just within a matter of days, you know, and and cause a cause a storm. It's very remarkable how they manage to do it. They're very organised groups. Also, we we as conservatives need to put um, national unity first, you know, and and almost put our money where our mouths are and not not incentivise this sort of rhetoric, which. You know, it only succeeds in undermining the fabric of the nation. It, it, it's kind of a tricky thing to think about because the, obviously there are historical grievances. Um, yeah. But we know we also it's it's a matter of education too. Don't we? You know, um, this won't get any better while kids are being taught exclusively about the evils of the, of the British Empire and 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 not about you know its role in ending slavery. And that's a that's a point, of course, which um, especially after the, the Black Lives Matter riots last year is is continues to go in completely the wrong direction um, by, you know, tearing things down, changing names. Um, I mean, even to the extent where where I think uh, in Liverpool, I believe the uh, 
a university building which was named after Gladstone was uh, renamed um, because of Gladstone's father's links to slavery, which seems an incredible step. Um, Guilty by association. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, to, to to go down a slightly different route. I mean, this is sort of what happens when you when you when you de-Christianize what is essentially a Christian country is that you that the, the, the mechanisms don't go away. You still have you know original sin in the form of privilege. But what you don't have anymore is the mechanism for forgiveness, being that everyone has the original sin, therefore no one can be judged for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and another thing is just um, the 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 anti-racist movements. I'm saying that with a capital A and capital R, because um, I think anti-racism is a noble cause. But when it's industrialized and and it, it becomes something more more malevolent, it's only succeeded in worsening race relations. You know, and it, it, in in the modern day, with all, all the options we have, we we don't need to listen to these people. Mm. Well, another area then, which um, which is we, we briefly mentioned last week, only in a sentence, we would have talked about it uh, more properly if we hadn't focused only on COVID, about um, about different communities listening and respecting views uh, rather than uh, rather than taking the opposite approach is that of the sort of continuing cartoon controversy. It's not the first time we've we've read of this. It seems every year it happens at least once where. Um, a, a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad uh, is is raised in a discussion or in in the classroom, especially in uh, religious education lessons, and there's a bit of a backlash against it. Well, you've been you've been uh, focusing on this story for this week, so I wondered if there's what the what the latest developments are that you can tell us about with this story. Yeah, it was a good transition there, and yeah, I've been reading into it a bit, and I think um, I did see that the, the school itself, I think, is a majority Muslim school, isn't it? And I think it, it probably wasn't used to be, but it, it, it's become that way. Uh, and um, uh, there's been a few more developments with it. I think two more teachers were were fired, um, and the guy's father has come out and said, uh, "Well, he's been completely thrown under the bus by them." And also, rather surprisingly, that um, the lesson was actually approved by the school before it was shown, and this, that lesson had been. Um, taught in other schools as well so um really crazy what happened and there's been a massive backlash and of course the government does their usual thing where they say we are against this thing this is terrible and they don't actually do anything um uh, which which is what they usually do for cultural issues like this and then um there is apparently an independent investigation going on about it but um yeah i think uh, we want free speech to prevail in this case but it might not we shall see <laughs> yeah the um oh. The, the, the government again is the kind of thing whereas you know it's it's vaguely mentioned the importance of freedom of speech without doing anything they seem to have forgotten that there is more to their 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 um purview than tackling the, the coronavirus that they 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 can protect this teacher you know who, who who is now um the last i heard of him he was uh, hiding in fear for his life yeah he's been getting death threats and all sorts and like the government has this uh quite large power and they're willing to use it to, uh, to uh, suppress freedom but not to encourage freedom um, which is very disappointing mm-hmm. One well, thing- I, don't, I don't think that it's just because of the sort of the coronavirus pushing all other matters out of the door because we see that all the government really seems to be capable of as you say William when it comes to these cultural matters is maybe an editorial in the telegraph um, some of the ministers write in the mail about how terrible it is and maybe Priti Patel uh, tells us how uh, offended she is by it. And then the next week, um, 
the same thing happens somewhere else in another school perhaps and nothing is done altogether yeah i think the, f- the furthest they get is that they, they come up with a proposal and sometimes they'll even put it on a government website like this is what we're going to do and then it will never happen and, you know, they always just pay lip service but you know yeah so it's more insulting than just coming out on the other side and saying no we don't agree with you i think we'd rather I think, I, I think they just do it to appease their base don't they and uh, yeah, yeah keep up appearances so to speak Absolutely. This teacher is genuinely terrified that him and his family are going to be killed over this. And uh, this is a quote from the father. It says, he knows that he he isn't going to be able to return to work or live in Batley ever again. It's going to be too dangerous. Um, How in a a modern Western society have we let this happen? Mm. It almost goes beyond the question of free speech here. This is just common humanity. Um, and a communal feeling in which even if someone says something outrageous, which I'm, I'm not suggesting in this case it is, um, you can't just outlaw them um, and sort of outcast them. It's not, not the way that uh, societies progress. And I've always found it, I mean, on a religious level, quite bizarre that they consider it blasphemy, because as far as I know, the Quran doesn't explicitly, explicitly say that you can't um, represent Muhammad. It says that, um, that there can be no representation of him, but it doesn't say that you can't do a representation. So it, it's bizarre how it's been interpreted this way by a vast majority. It's just, yeah, mental. I suppose it's one of those, again, where it's the loudest um, word prevails, as, as we said on, on COVID and in the, in the race report, where it doesn't matter what the truth of the matter is. Um, it doesn't even matter how many people believe it, but so long as there's enough people who are talking about it very loudly, uh, it's going to gain a lot of attention and gain the sort of uh, the wrong types, those sort of people who you don't want involved in issues um, flocking towards it. And, and in this case, scaring someone uh, who believes that the whole family could be at risk of being killed, which is an astonishing thing. Uh- and, and another issue that it highlights too is is the issue of um, uh, pathological safetyism in schools, where this idea that children can't be exposed to anything controversial, um, you know, it's if if you're like I said if you're teaching a lesson on blasphemy, then it's it's a valid it's a valid point to bring up. Um, well, here's, here's the impressive thing on that: children can't be taught anything controversial. Well, sex education lessons over the past 10 years have become more and more extreme. Um, and, and teachings on things like gender now, are uh, e- even the BBC had to take back some of its uh, videos where I think it said there were 100 genders. And admitted <laughs> that actually, it might have gone a step too far. So in that sense, it can, you know, it can really push the boundaries and, and keep on pushing. And we know that in another 10 years, matters will be uh, quite different still. But on matters like this, where um, free speech is at hand, no, 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 not allowed. That's a little too far. Um, it seems to have, we're going in the wrong direction in, in both areas. Um, it, I mean, on the, on the government's response as well, we, we know that it doesn't really care, I think, about freedom of speech in the sense that it tries to tell us. And, and things like the, the way it handled the Scruton affair tell us that. Scruton last year after um, being hounded in an interview with the New Statesman, which was basically a hit job, um, misquoting him in certain ways and misinterpreting purposefully some of his views in others. Um, he was sacked from his government position, which I think he'd been on for a couple of months only on the, 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 the Build Better, Build Beautiful Commission, I believe it was. Um, a, a host of conservative uh, MPs, perhaps even ministers, I believe, 
came out saying that what he'd done was despicable and he should be you know, stripped of all his, his honours and his titles and his career um, and those who support him are equally evil. Um, and then when it was realised that actually he'd been uh, the victim of a hit job by the new statesman, very little was done. I think one MP apologised slightly, although not in a proper sense, um, and the others remained silent and soon after he died. So there's, you know, he wasn't really able to receive the, the pleasure of a proper apology or a turn back of events. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, this made sort of naturally bleed into the miscellaneous story, I guess. But the yeah, I mean, what what happened to Scrooge was tragic. I mean, the the man's reputation was destroyed in the last year of his life while he was battling cancer um, by some you know uh, hack upstart journalist. At, uh, yeah, uh, I think it was George Eaton. His name is um, still got a job with the paper. I think he's an editor as well. Yeah, he he was he was demoted and then promoted again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it doesn't surprise me that the PM didn't come down because I mean he's a he was a predatory journalist himself. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> in <true>. the past, <laughs> he wouldn't I be mean, where he was without hit jobs like that. Yeah, that's very mm. true. This is quite an interesting point to end on then, because um, uh, someone sorry that someone said, said to me earlier. I basically put out a tweet about how much I regretted voting for, for Boris Johnson, and um, someone replied with a really quite an interesting point, which is that um, like that we were that. We can't really say we weren't warned by this, considering that this man is known as being a, you know, a, a serial liar, an adulterer, a, a very uh, like a scummy journalist in, in his actions, and also someone who doesn't even use his, his real name. Mm. To, to, in hindsight, to expect anything less than duplicity from, from this man was was delusional on my part. Yeah, I think we'll we'll be served up the same at the the next election as well. Um, Oh yeah, <laughs> next the next three elections probably. I mean, yeah, this is you know, the 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 party has now become a a self fulfilling beast. You know, it's just concerned purely with, with, with continuity. Mm. The the point is though is that a lot of people I think will, especially those who support lockdowns and the measures taken, um, will will continue voting and maybe even turn to the Conservatives because of what we've seen. And even if they don't, even if they go to Labour, it's not like much would really change in the no. grand scheme of things. <laughs> precisely, precisely. I mean, it, it has been funny in the last couple of days seeing Jeremy Corbyn, for example, um, argue against vaccine passports. The unlikely uh, bedfellows, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And also, you know, every, everything was said about the magic money tree with, with Corbyn. Well, what have we got now? It's a, a magic money forest, I think some people have yeah, said. Yeah, that furlough. My goodness. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the damage of which we'll only realise once furlough itself ends. So, um, I, which I don't... people who were going to be made redundant will be made redundant anyway. It's just been delayed. Maybe, so. maybe when Boris isn't in power, so it'll be someone else's fault. If Labour does win the next election, we'll we'll all see the Conservatives blame blame them uh, for the the ensuing uh, economic crisis, but I think that's a, a misplaced judgment. Their fault too, since they complied in it, but not, not purely their, their issue. Mm. But anyway, that, that itself is a, a matter for another day. I think we've got a few years yet to wait for an election. I don't know if that's good or bad. I suppose since- well, maybe he'll see a good poll and call an early one. <laughs> well, crikey, maybe. Imagine that. God, not so, another one, as, as, as someone <laughs> said. <laughs> we'll have a special issue at that point. But anyway, I think on that note, with those uh, topics covered, I'll uh, say goodbye for this week and 
Thank you, Sam, for, for joining us again. And of course, William, for, for jumping in last minute. Really appreciate that. Yeah, no and, problem. Uh, thanks for joining us all, and we'll see you again next week. Cheers. Farewell. Well.